Thanks, Charmaine. Okay, I'm talking to adults now. Wind it down. Um, not as many people here this morning, which usually makes a pastor sad. But I'm hoping this morning that there's lots and lots of people at Eastwood, which makes a pastor happy because um, Johnny's being inducted there as their transitional pastor and it's the start of a whole new ball game for us, so that's very exciting. And so um, that's happening right now. They started a special 10 o'clock service uh, for them, so that's very good. So three talks from Pano Life, the same stories that we're doing in Pano Life, all from Luke's Gospel. The first was on Zacchaeus, which you've already heard. The second I'm titled The Pleasure of Your Company, because Jesus came to enjoy the pleasure of our company. Jesus tracked down Zacchaeus. He went searching for him. He spots him, he introduces himself, and he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Uh, our second story, the one Charmaine read to us, is, is of a different nature because Jesus, in this story, is the one being sought. First, by the Pharisees, who are the righteous guys. They're the good guys. Everyone respects these religious teachers and leaders. And they invite Jesus to dinner, which is an honour, which really is a mark of approval for Jesus. Or maybe they're sussing him out, but it's an honour nevertheless. Maybe we will accept you, Jesus, the rabbi. Jesus, would you give us the pleasure of your company? The subtext being, we're in control. Actually, Jesus, this time we're willing to bequeath to you the pleasure of our company. Will you come? And Jesus is happy to accept. Yes, I'll come to your house. Thank you for the invitation. But there's another person, not just the Pharisees seeking Jesus. There's another person seeking Jesus who gate crashes this dinner party. And it's a little bit like Pauline Hansen gate crashing a Greens get together. Hello, everybody. Ah! Get out! It's a little bit like a rough sleeper from Hyde Park going to Friday drinks at Pricewaterhouse. Hi, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm here. And their ties are loose. But no, no rough sleepers. We're, we've got loose ties for Friday drinks. And our suits, jackets are off, but you're not welcome. It's a sinful woman. Oh, we can imagine, can't we, what that might mean? We're not sure. And true to form, for a sinful woman, she's shameless. There's no decorum. It's embarrassing. She approaches Jesus. Everyone says, what are you doing? She approaches Jesus now. Jesus, we know what would happen. Have a quiet word. Listen, I'm busy. Uh, this is probably not... Can we maybe could meet... We can talk later. And, and he gently escorts her to the door and says, maybe tomorrow. And she goes. And everybody says, gee, that Jesus is a great guy. You know, he's, he's gentle, but he's firm. And we like that. Gentle, but firm. As she walks out and everybody relaxes, breathes a sigh of relief because it's just us again. And decorum reigns. 
and we're in control. But, you know, Jesus doesn't do that. This sinful woman approaches Jesus. This sinful woman risks everything. She breaks all protocols and she's got this expensive perfume which has cost a lot of money. She's seeking for Jesus and Jesus lets himself be found. He stays right where he is in that dinner party with the Pharisees. And boy, is he found. She comes up to him and she starts crying. And you know when you cry, a few tears here, it gets a bit, you wipe your eyes. No, no, not. You know that energy with the blah, the tears running down? That's what's happening. She's crying. And there's literally, sometimes this happens, there's drips of water and it starts dripping on his feet. She's like, it's dripping on your face. She gets hair and she bends down. She starts wiping his hair with his hair. And the tears are falling on everything. She's wiping his hair. She's so close to Jesus. She starts kissing his feet. And instead of taking the perfume and breaking it and putting it on his head, she just drips it all over his feet and she's crying and she's crying and she's kissing and she's just overwhelmed to be with Jesus and to be where Jesus is. And everybody's looking and Jesus just sucks it up. Who looked for Jesus? Who really wanted Jesus? Who desired to be with Jesus? Who needed Jesus? Who cared for Jesus? Who gave up everything to find him? Not the righteous. Not the Pharisees. The woman. And all this happens in the context of a meal. Does food unite or divide? <clears throat> Is, are those who, with whom we eat, are they, do they delineate separation, the narrow band, or do they evidence a breadth of unity and love? This is a special invitation. This is a fancy dinner party. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, they said to themselves, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. They should have put up a sign on this dinner party, sinners not welcome. We do not want the pleasure of your company because quite frankly your company is not pleasure for us. Because we're what matters. We can be so much like the kids in the playground that we only eat lunch with our friends. And Jesus welcomes the sinner and he is judged for that and perhaps excluded after that because he eats, he accepts this woman into his food context. And you know, it's the food that really pushes the issue here, this meal. And the issue is, what is Jesus worth? How valuable is having a relationship with him? 
And what does having a relationship with him mean? What does he offer? Because Jesus suggests in this story that the one who loves me more is the one who has the greatest debt to clear because I clear debts. Bigger debt, more love. And she knows that she has an enormous debt. And so she sought me out. She was desperate. And she aches for forgiveness, which is what I offer. She aches for love and acceptance, which is what I offer. And so Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. What a thing to say. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began, <laughs> this is a beautiful response. <laughs> it's so real. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus offers salvation, which is sins forgiven, which is a fresh start, which is renewal, which is wholeness, which is peace in a world of suits and ties. Jesus accepts us just as we are. In Christ, we can become now and forever what God made us to be in our fullness, in our wholeness. And salvation is simply the pleasure of God's company. And for the Creator, it's the pleasure of our company made in His image. Forgiven and perfected for all eternity. Where with our Maker and with others, we can eat and drink and be merry. Jesus starts with 12, whom he sought out, called them to himself, perhaps by name, 12 disciples. And Jesus invested in these 12 men on Tuesday morning. There was strategic leadership with Andrew. Thursday afternoon we had managing change with James. Not at all. Jesus invested in these men by sharing his life with them so that they could hear his teaching, watch his example be sent by him and be prayed for by him. They are a bumbling lot. They failed to get it so often. They failed to follow his example. They didn't understand or apply his teaching. They were often self-serving. But Jesus chose them. He sought them. And he loved them. And he actually had a purpose in doing so, just as he does when he seeks us. They spent three years together. It ended in Jerusalem, which is a dangerous place for this rabbi, miracle worker, teacher, challenger of religious norms. They followed Jesus to Jerusalem. Sometimes they'd think, wow, we're following the Messiah. This guy's incredible. And when we get to Jerusalem, the kingdom is going to come in power and there will be strength for us. There will be power for us with Jesus. We're his crew. 
And sometimes I think they were afraid. We're going to Jerusalem. Look, it's scary, man. But Jesus knew what lay ahead in Jerusalem. He actually knew he would be betrayed and arrested and beaten and crucified. For he came to seek and to save the lost. And the journey to do that was to Jerusalem and then the cross. And he wanted his disciples to follow him, to see him there and experience and watch and mourn his death and learn. It's just before the Passover festival, this big religious festival. The city is abuzz with people and activity. Jesus comes into the city riding on a donkey and he's welcomed as the coming Messiah by some people. They shout, Hosanna, they, they're full of joy. The king is coming, the king is coming. But, well, the city really became a stir when Jesus went to the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and disrupted the peace of the temple. Jesus has enemies, powerful enemies, who want him dead. And the disciples keep following him. What's going on in Jerusalem? What are we doing? And you know what else Jesus is doing in Jerusalem? He's teaching people, but you know what else he's doing in Jerusalem? Not much. Just causing trouble at the religious feast. Jesus, knowing... That, his disciple, that Judas would betray him, and knowing that it was imminent, knowing that his time is coming to end, what does Jesus do? He says, let's have a meal. Let's, let's, let's celebrate the Passover. Let's have a last supper with those who, I'm, who I've sought, with those 12 that I particularly called to myself, even Judas Iscariot. Let's have a meal. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table in the upper room that was all set up for them. There is a Passover lamb, recently slaughtered, bitter herbs, bread, wine. It's a remembrance meal. They're to remember how God saved Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Don't forget that moment of salvation. Don't forget God's goodness. Give thanks in humility as you eat this meal. Every year do it. The table's set, you know, fresh meat, bread, wine. It's a bang-up feast. Jesus reclines. The disciples are around him. He's got his crew in the upper room enjoying the pleasure of one another's company, the mob. The boys. Judas, Iscariot, gets up, tells a lie and leaves to betray Jesus. There's 11 left and then Jesus commands attention. And he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Hmm? We're having... Um, we're getting together with our neighbours next Saturday. Really looking forward to it. Because I like my neighbours. Jesus is saying, I've really been looking forward to this meal, but 
Tomorrow, he knows he will face the cross. Tonight, he knows he will be beaten. What's going on? For I tell you, says Jesus, I'm really looking forward to this meal. I'm really looking forward to spending time with you guys because I tell you, I'm not going to eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is the last supper. And he takes this symbolic food, the food of the Passover, the food of remembrance, and he gives it a far deeper symbolism still. The symbolism of salvation. And he took bread and gave it to them, gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. My body, boys. It's my body as he breaks the bread. He says, eat it, eat it. Not to remember salvation from Egypt, but your real need to be saved from sin. This is the great feast of reconciliation. This is unity. This is the body broken, my body broken, sins forgiven. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup, this cup, boys, this cup's a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. You know, the wine is a symbol of blood. It's, it's red, but not that of the Passover lamb slaughtered, but that of Jesus' blood spilt. For a new covenant, a new way of relationship, a new way of being right with God, forgiveness secured by Jesus' death. He gives his righteous life to cover for our unrighteousness. To bring us to God, to restore us. The sort of restoration we saw with Zacchaeus. The sort of restoration we saw with the sinful woman. Where we might all sit at Jesus' feet and share a feast with him. Secured by his body broken, his blood shed. It is, we might say, a food frenzy. But actually, more civilised, the Bible calls it the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's a wedding celebration, a wedding feast. This, this, this feast that Jesus looks forward to is like a wedding feast. It's hopeful, it's joyful, it's abundant, it's celebratory, and it marks a sense of hope for peace or, or final peace. It, it's life as it should be. This is good. And so we remind, we remind ourselves today... As a church family, when we eat together, we're one in Jesus' blood. We celebrate with Jesus. When we enjoy the pleasure of one another's company over food with hope and joy, we remind ourselves 
I hope we remind ourselves when we eat together that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So that we can share in the meal for the ages. We might invite others with big hearts. Come and join us. Come on. Share in the meal of the ages. Sin's forgiven. Amen.